up, everyone? Welcome to episode 95 of the 2QB Experience, the 2QB XP. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Sammy Reed is going to join me on the show today, but before we get to him, I want to tell you briefly about the sponsor of this show. It's SquadQL. This is a lineup optimization tool that you can use for all of your leagues on Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS. The app pulls in your scoring settings, your roster settings, all your team information, your opponent's team information. It'll suggest trades, waiver pickups, you know, roster moves you can do to maximize your scoring each week uh, based upon projections. And Sammy and I are going to talk a little bit about that on the show. So um, not to undermine SquadQL's goal here, that what they're doing is awesome and they're they're going to help you kind of make smart decisions week to week. But yeah, th- there is something to be said about uh, questioning projections every once in a while. We'll talk about that and, and why it's important. But um, check out SquadQL at SquadQL.com. Uh, check out their DFS optimizer, RotoQL as well. Um, really good stuff. These tools do a lot of the simple stuff for you day to day, just to make your whole fantasy management experience a little bit easier. Uh, it sends you notifications too, so check them out, squadql.com. And with that said, I'd like to welcome in Sammy Reed at Sammy Reed FI on Twitter of Roto Grinders and the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast. Welcome back to the show, Sam. How you doing? Ah, oh, I'm awesome, Mr. Sauce. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, we were just talking a little bit of baseball. It's uh, The season just wrapped up, so we uh, kind of did a little post-mortem on, on a few of our seasons, but we got to talk football. Uh, week four is almost in the books. We're recording this as Kansas City's playing Denver, but big picture, looking at Sunday primarily, maybe back to Thursday if you want, what stood out to you in week four? What, what were your big takeaways uh, from this slate? I mean, I have a number of them, but I think overall, not just from week four, but the whole season, I I think that the fact that scoring is so far up this year is a big deal. And it should really affect the way we're thinking about the game, the way that we're thinking about start-sit decisions, all those things. The landscape is changing. Everything's changing. Just like in baseball, how we had the juice ball last year, et cetera, that kind of changed dynamics. The scoring in football is really changing the dynamic of how we do this. So how is it changing your process to this point? This is actually something I wanted to get to you, get to with you eventually. Um, let's start at a personal level for you. What is different, or how are you changing your approach based upon you know what we're seeing this this you know proliferation of scoring? Yeah, I mean for me, it's one of those deals where I feel like the biggest beneficiaries so far have been the secondary wide receivers, right? Uh, just, you know, we're seeing guys like yeah. Calvin Ridley and Juju Smith-Schuster and Sterling Shepard and these guys really start to ball out. And I think that's where a lot of the extra scoring equity is coming to. And so especially when you're looking at your flex positions, I've always said I want a running back in my flex as much as possible because they tend to have a higher floor, right? You can count on them for more interactions. But at this point, the way that running backs are being used and receivers are being used I'm starting to rethink that, and that really, it matters in daily fantasy, it matters in seasonal fantasy. The other thing that's kind of standing out to me in that regard is the way we're kind of seeing positions shift in general. Yeah. Like how we're seeing more running backs being used on wide receiver routes, more wide receivers Mm -hmm. taking handoffs, you know, that Tyreek Hillification of, you know, running backs and wide receivers, uh, you know, Chris Thompson for the Redskins, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of some other good examples, but you get what I'm saying. Naheem Hines. Hines week, is a great right? one, right? Yeah, totally. And that is is interesting to me as well. Like we're seeing more kind of hybridization of these different positions. To, it's almost to the point now when you look at your flex spot, it's less about, you know, 
a hard and fast rule about which position you want there and more about just the type of player you want. Like you said, you want a floor and typically the way we're going to find a floor is just by chasing opportunity, by looking for touches, looking for targets. And those touches and targets are coming from uncommon places or at least what used to be uncommon places, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's big picture stuff like that. It's even that minute stuff where around the goal line, we're starting to see that little touch pass that's just kind of like an end around, but the quarterback, it counts as a pass because he's technically throwing it forward. Wide receivers are getting cheap touchdowns like this. Quarterbacks are getting cheap touchdowns like this. The the game is changing and it's, it's very exciting. I think it's great. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun, but it should kind of factor into our decision-making processes. From an enjoyability standpoint, you know, the extra offense is great. I totally agree with you. The fact that those touch passes count as passes drives me <laughs> up the fucking wall. Like, can we just all agree that those are handoffs and that those are running plays? Because that's kind of what they are, right? Like, what's it going to take? Yahoo, ESPN, Stats Inc. Like, how are we going to fix this? Let's do it. I mean, I'll say this. So, like, back in the day, I think it was, like, Madden, like, 04, 03 or something like that. They, they had the shovel pass in the playbook. And so you could get your quarterback passing touchdowns by doing little shovel passes up the middle to the running back and getting cheap touchdowns. And this is almost like that. Like you're playing Madden, you're trying to like win your quarterback the MVP and get him cheap passing touchdowns. That's like kind of what this is. I, I Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's so strange to me, though, from like a statistical perspective that the quarterback gets credit for that because the quarterback's not doing anything on those plays. Like, let's be real. No, no, he's not. But I mean, technically... The ball is going forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if it ended up hitting the ground, that should be uh, an incomplete pass, not a fumble. So like I get it. Technically, that's the way it is. But like the spirit of it, I, I agree with you. So speaking of quarterbacks, the quarterback scoring as you know associated with all this, you know, team scoring is way up. We're at 18.21 points per game for quarterbacks this season. That doesn't include Monday night. Uh, but last year it was 15.52 2016, 15.14. Uh, back between 2013 and 2015, it was a little bit higher, but still nowhere close to this 18.21 points per game for QBs. Do you think that we should be more realistic about this and start to expect some regression in 2018? Or do you think this really is just an immediate impact of the rule changes around the NFL and, and uh, you know, the proliferation of, uh, you know, spread offenses and things like that. Is this something that's that's here to stay? Or do you think that eventually in this season we're going to see that scoring for quarterbacks come back and normalize a little bit? I mean, can I say both? It, it, in a way, I'd say it's more real than, than fake, right? I do think that the rule changes are big. And I do think that we're seeing all these spread concepts, the air raid concepts coming from college and even high school in some cases, changing the game. So I think that the changes are real. Will we continue to see 18 plus points per game? Uh, I don't know that I'm smart enough to, to know that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it lowered a little bit, but I think most of this is is real and it's a it's a changing dynamic in the game. At some point, the game is cyclical. You know what I mean? At some point, defenses will figure out a counter. Because we always go through cycles, but I'm not sure that that'll happen this season. So from a DFS perspective, if we're seeing all this extra scoring, typically when we're prepping for DFS, one of the the key tools in our arsenal is just to look at betting lines, to look at the over-unders for each game. But if so many of these games are going to shoot out, and if we're going to see such high volume of offense kind of across the league at a base level, do you think there's more value in chasing 
players in games with lower totals? Is is there something there that we can maybe get some early contrarian value on? Am I crazy here? No, not at all. Um, I, I think we see that sometimes. Like, just look at the Cleveland-Oakland game from right. last week, right? Not trying to throw out, like, a one-game anomaly, but I think that it is easier for games to shoot out. Uh, today, I just retweeted something that my buddy uh, Anthony Amico tweeted, and that's if you had just blindly bet the over in every game this year, your ROI would be 7.2%. You'd be you'd be 34 and 28 because the books are not are slow to adjust. You know what I mean? And so I think so much of betting or playing daily fantasy, any of that is just being ahead of the trends, like recognizing the trends and acting on them before everybody else kind of catches up. And I think this is that situation. How long do you think it's going to take Vegas to catch up on that stuff? Because they're not going to keep hemorrhaging money on this stuff for long. (laughs) No, not long at all, mate. Not long at all. And I mean, it's funny, like if you look at the implied point totals uh, for this week, I mean, there are one, two, there are five teams over 28 points. You don't often see that. Usually it's like two. So there's already five. And uh, we'll see how that changes as as betting comes in. So So I think they're starting to adjust now. So the last question I want to pose to you kind of with this big picture scoring breakout in mind is with regards to game design in fantasy, when you see how prolific, you know, passing offense has become this season, how does that make you feel about your league's scoring settings? Do you think that we should be trying to suppress the value of QB stats to help balance scoring between positions more, or should we just embrace this boom of quarterback scoring and chalk it up to the evolution of fantasy or does it not even matter? Like we, you know, the settings are what they are, learn to adjust and, and play the game that we're given. Like, what, what do you think about this, uh, you know, from the perspective of how leagues are actually set up? Well, I, I think I'm going to give you an answer that you will like. And that is that I am great with extra value going to quarterbacks. Quarterback is the most important position, probably in all of sports. And it's the hardest position to play in all of sports. And I know like two QBs is all about giving some value back to that. You're playing in standard 12 team leagues. Quarterback means nothing, right? You can just wait till forever and draft a good quarterback. And that sucks. Like that does not, I know we'll never get a perfect uh, synchronization between real football and fantasy football, but it should, the most important position not, should not be the least important one. I think quarterbacks matter. It's, it's something that I think two quarterback leagues really take a hold of and, and make uh, what it should be. And this extra quarterback scoring, I think, is great. And the quarterback should reap that value. It should be an important position in fantasy. So if you're starting a league, though, how are you setting up your quarterback scoring? Are you doing four points for passing touchdowns, six points? Uh, what are you doing with interceptions? Like, what's your what's your favorite way to play? Or, or And, I mean, maybe take this discussion of, like, overall league scoring out of it. Just, like, when you think of a, a fantasy football league and quarterback scoring, what seems correct to you or, or what do you enjoy the most? I generally like uh, two quarterback leagues or super flex leagues, if you want, and uh, four points and minus two points. I think turnovers should really hurt. You know what I mean? Um, and so having them at least be half of the minus that, that touchdowns give you positive, I think there should be a, a big, you know, kind of negative for that. So I, I, I like that. And I think I'm in five leagues this year and four of them are two quarterback or super flex leagues. Like I think the industry's changing and I think that's awesome. Yeah. That makes me so happy, dude. I love hearing that from you. And, yeah, and I hear great. that from other analysts too. It's really cool. I, I think for me, I want 
the interceptions to matter more. And Scott Fish did a really good job of this in the Scott Fish Bowl. He did six per he passing did. touchdown, minus four per interception. I don't yeah. really like the six per passing touchdown, though. So I, I'm wondering next year I might try to steer more of my leagues towards five for passing touchdowns and minus three for INTs, okay. uh, or maybe four, four and minus three even. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see kind of where this goes because there is an argument to be made that if we, if quarterback scoring continues to grow and grow and grow, even if we start two of them, if they're scoring so much more than every other position, then it kind of makes those positions inherently less important just week to week, not necessarily in draft evaluation. Like you're still going to have to go into your early rounds and go after, the elite running backs, the elite wide receivers, and the you know the very few elite tight ends, I suppose. But if you can have those guys and just lose because Philip Rivers throws six touchdowns or Mitchell Trubisky throws six touchdowns in a game, right, right. Like there's there, there's some feel bad potential there. Uh, but but again, like when Trubisky has a day like that, like sure he should be rewarded, man. He should score a fuck ton of points when he does that. So. Yeah, yeah and wait, can, can I throw something else in sure, here? Please. All, all you guys doing fantasy leagues, if you insist on playing with kickers, get rid of five-point field goals. Like, a 50-yard field goal should not be worth more than a touchdown pass. Or it should not be equal to a touchdown pass. Shut it down. Three <laughs> points for field goals. Do not do this. I, I implore you. It's just an abomination of the kind of dynamic of scoring points. Okay, and rant. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, <laughs> I it in. You, you better slow that down because I'm a pro kicker person, to be no, honest. No, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with kickers, but five points. Like, come on. No, no. I, I, I can actually dig that. And my the one that used to drive me crazy, and I've taken, and I took this out of my leagues a long time ago, was just four points for a 40-yarder. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, everybody can make a 40-yarder, man. These guys are professional kickers. Like, that should be worth three. I, I'm okay with 50-yarders being worth a little bit more, but yeah, maybe it should be four instead of in, five. I'll say this. In the leagues, in, in a number of leagues that I play, it's three all the way up to 50, and then 50-yarders are worth four. Okay, so I, I like I'm, that. So I'm, I'm okay with a little bonus, but yeah, 4.40-yarders? Like, get, get out of here. Like, it's just... You don't want somebody's kicker scoring 16 and their wide receivers are scoring like eight points. And it's like, what, what's happening here? I got 15 from Will Lutz in one of my leagues this week. It felt so good. I, had I mean, him. it feels good when it happens to you. I had him in the Green Bay defense and I, I felt unstoppable. Oh, special teams for the win. That's a big right. part of the you know well let, let's get uh let's get back to the week four uh <laughs> recap or yeah so um I'm I have kind of another like nebulous question for you and and this is something that I've been wondering about for a little while now is is what are the impacts of projections you know everywhere you play you know ESPN Yahoo CBS NFL.com like any site you play on is going to give you a projection for your player and I'm curious of, I, I mean, I know that you do this because I do it. Um, I'm sure that you will eventually go against what those projections tell you. And I'm I'm hoping that maybe you can give me an example from week four uh, where you ignored the projections in one of your start-sit decisions. And I'm, I'm curious if you could, like, explain that process. Why did you go contrary to the projections? And tell us if it worked. Like, does anything come to mind for you? Uh, sure. Um, so first off, I'll say that like ESPN and Yahoo projections, I almost don't look at them. You know what I mean? Like I play a lot of, I play a lot of daily fantasy and I mean, frankly, like not to like shade any of the sites, but I just think that their projections are fairly substandard. Right. And if you want to play 
daily fantasy at a higher level, like you, you definitely can't uh, just kind of like rely on that sort of thing. And I know you're kind of coming at this from a seasonal perspective. I think one of the things a guy I was high on uh, this week specifically was Sterling Shepard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Right. And there were a lot of reasons. I mean, the week before um, the Saints had really kind of shaded Julio Jones with Lattimore, at least until like the fourth quarter when they put him over on Calvin Ridley. But they also rolled coverage over there and we saw a huge game from Calvin Ridley. And with Evan Ingram out, I I just thought that uh, Shepard was just in a smash spot in in a game that could really had some potential to shoot out. I thought he was just a lock for like a 25% target share. And I think he ended with 24. He had a great day. But if you look over at Yahoo, I mean, he was only projected for 11.2 points. He ended up scoring 20.7. So, you know, that was that was a guy like I started him over. Uh, gosh, I forget who I started him over. Somebody good, though. I think it was. I'm Third. sorry, Greg. It was it was Chris Hogan. Oh, okay. It was Chris Hogan who was projected for 12.6. And obviously that ended up working out well. It doesn't always work out perfectly like that, but that was, I, I thought that was good process. Yeah. So in one of my leagues, I started John Brown over Amari Cooper. And I, I liked Brown's matchup a lot. I had a little bit of fear about Cooper, you know, his matchup, but also the fact that his usage was a little sporadic for the first three weeks. Cooper actually ended up scoring a bit more. So the projections were. A little justified, but it was essentially a wash. I think it was like 19 points to 22 points or something. And and I, I guess I shouldn't, you know, say that three points isn't a big difference. But I mean, I got enough out of John Brown to make me feel okay about the process there. I mean, in real hindsight, I should have started both of them and benched T. Y. Hilton. But that's a story no. for another day. I guess yeah, what no. I'm trying to get at here is that. I feel like a lot of people out there do look at those projections, and, and I know this because I get this third party from my wife, who you know plays in a league with a bunch of her friends, and oh yeah, she's always throwing out there like she's asking me like who should I play between these two guys, and I'll, I'll give an answer, and then she'd be like, well, so and so is projected for you know point seven more points, and it, it's like <laughs> one thing that pr- those projections can never capture is a range of outcomes, right? The fact that right. a player has a ceiling and a floor depending upon how the game breaks, you know. I don't know, like, I think that this is something, I, I just wanted to bring it up so that the listeners out there can feel okay about going against those projections, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, important I, to learn that that's not, you know, a be-all, end-all of fantasy scoring, and once you start to put more nuance to it, when you start to understand, you know, that range of outcomes, how those matchups can play out, you're going to be giving yourself a better chance to win, ultimately. Yeah, for sure. I, it's so funny you bring up your wife. My wife plays in a fantasy league, too, and she's always asking me about the projection. She's like... Oh no, I'm projected to lose by eight points. What if I switch my lineup around? Okay, now I'm only projected to lose by five. And I'm like, I'm like, boo-boo, don't, you know, don't don't even worry about that. I mean, it's like I we my friends and I have a running joke, you know, when you finish a Yahoo draft, it starts grading you and it'll say, it'll say best draft. And if you get that, we're all like, no, no, the Yahoo gets a death. We don't want it. I want that <laughs> like C means, minus every time. That's what I want. Yeah, exactly. Like if you get best draft award from Yahoo, your battleship is sunk. Just shut it down. All right, I want to shift gears here. I want to talk about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he got, you know, sawed in half, benched for Jameis Winston in this game, and I, I feel like the answer should be clear, but I have to ask it because this is a two-quarterback show. Is there any reason to hold Fitzpatrick, or are you just safely assuming that Winston is going to start for the Bucks going forward? No, I, I definitely think it's Winston, and obviously earlier today they came out and said it was going to be Winston, so that takes a little bit of the intrigue out of this question. Um, but 
I just, you know, I I held Winston in one of my two QB leagues, and then he was dropped in another one, and I tried to uh, fab him up this last week, and somebody outbid me by a couple bucks, and I was super bummed, because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I should have, dude, I mean, my second quarterback's like Tannehill, and I'm like, dude, I should have gone the extra money, I was super pissed at myself, I, I think it's going to be Winston, and the reality is Fitzpatrick is good. He's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league, but James Winston was the number one overall pick in the draft like four years ago. They are going to give this guy a chance. He's got a ton of weapons. Is he that great? No. But the reality is, I mean, this guy averaged 270 passing yards last year per game, right? This is a dude that over 16 games can be on a 4,500-yard pace. I mean, that's especially with the weapons. Another year for Godwin, Evans and Djax being healthy. I mean, th- this team, all he's really got to do is do it. Fitzpatrick did and just YOLO it, throw it deep uh, and and let these guys do their magic. So I think, I think he's going to be pretty good for the rest of the year. So I totally agree with you. I was in on Winston during draft season. I've talked about that a lot on the show, but if I'm going to play devil's advocate for Ryan Fitzpatrick, your argument is kind of what makes it right. He is one of the better backups in the league. We saw him have success in the first few weeks, albeit against some bad defenses, but we saw him find that success. There are some character concerns with Jameis Winston, and I don't want to play too much into so that. So many. Yeah, from so like a, a narrative perspective, but not just, you know, off the field incidents, but also I think there's something to be said about his chemistry with that team. Like there was that whole eating a W nonsense last year. <laughs> a lot of the vibe around Fitzpatrick through those first three weeks was so positive and so his team loves him. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder that if the team does start to struggle at, at, you know, kind of beyond how they have struggled at this point, is there a case for Fitzpatrick to kind of retake that job? I think maybe, but if you're looking at like a, an important waiver pickup at running back or wide receiver, I do think that Fitzpatrick has to be considered droppable for all the reasons you said. You know, Winston has that draft capital invested in him. He has, you know, a, a bit of a pedigree, like more so than Fitzpatrick. We've seen him have more high-level success than Fitzpatrick in his short career. It's it's tricky, and I, this could definitely come back to bite us both, but I, I think Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick is droppable. Um, I wouldn't begrudge anybody from holding him, but... I think it, it could be time to, to let go there. Let's get to our quarterback awards for week four. Who was the boom of the week? Uh, the QB who outperformed your expectations the most? Uh, I think it's easily Trubisky. <laughs> because, I mean, I don't know how you can say anything else. The, the thing about Trubisky is I think he's bad. Like, I, I didn't like him coming out of college. I don't think he's very good. I haven't thought he's good all year. Uh, the Bucks defense is really a cure for all those ills. And I actually am a Nagy believer. I think that Nagy's a, a really good offensive mind. And so I think when you put him uh, with a bad quarter, a bad defense like Tampa's, I mean, they really shredded it up. And I don't think many of those throws were really that tough for Trubisky. I think a lot of them were really manufactured. You know, we saw that long touchdown to Burton, uh, just like wide open down the sideline, all that stuff. But uh, from a daily fantasy perspective, I literally would be a millionaire if I had played like Trubisky and Burton in one of my lineups instead of Gronk and Brady. You know what I mean? So I, I wish I had been a little ahead of that. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely Trubisky. But before I talk about him, quick honorable mentions, Derek Carr against Cleveland, QB5, yes. 31 and a half points. Didn't see that coming. That was surprising to me especially because Cleveland's defense had been good for the first few weeks. Just sidebar, what's your take on the Cleveland defense? Are they good? I can't tell anymore. Uh, it's really tough to say. I'm, I'm going to 
kind of say yes in the sense that I think so much of defense is having a good pass rush. And I think that Miles Garrett is like a Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack level force. And I think that's huge. I think Denzel Ward, I didn't like that pick when they made it at the time. But, I mean, he has just played his ass off in the first quarter of the season. He is really, really good. Obviously, Jabril Peppers, they have a lot of talent at linebacker with Schobert and Kirksey. And uh, I just think that that, you know, Jamie Collins Jr., um, I, I think, or Sr., I forget which one. But either way, I think that defense is good. The only thing holding them back is that Hugh Jackson is uh, part of it, right? And Ding. who is it? Greg Williams? I mean, those guys are uh, – those guys. it's like Cobra Commander and, you know, Serpentor. <laughs> They're just like complete idiots, uh, tactical buffoons. And so that's going to hold them back. So I'm fine targeting them, but I think Cleveland's defense is probably middle of the pack. I wish I could do that raspy Cobra Commander voice right now. I, and, and if I could have thought of anything clever to say, I would have done it. But I, I just I don't have that I don't have that bullet in my in unsubstantiated my gun, fantasy. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, back to QB is another quick honorable mention. Marcus Mariota against the Eagles, QB seven, thirty point four points. Like I I was so worried about him. I talked about that on the last show, and this kind of did a lot to quell my fears. I feel a lot better about him going forward. Although maybe Man. I shouldn't. Like maybe this is just a fluke. What do you, what no, do you think about Mariota? I'm I'm in on. I, I liked Mariota coming into the season. I think that, that elbow injury has really cost him, obviously, and dropped his stock a lot. But watching this game, I watch a good amount of it. He looked really good. Not just, I mean, throwing the ball, he looked really good, and that was a big positive when the guy has an elbow injury. Mm-hmm. But he was also ridiculously fast like I look up and somebody was running with the ball and I'm like oh my god who's that is that Corey Davis I'm like no that's freaking Mariota I mean he is a blur and you know Corey Davis balling out like he did having that breakout game I thought that was a big takeaway from this week I'm like fully in there yeah anybody who bought low on Corey Davis is high-fiving themselves right now oh that's that's me actually so nice I traded I traded my buddy sauce Carlos Hyde for him and the moment Nick Chubb started ripping off 60-yard touchdowns, I mean, he started, like, texting me a storm, just like, bro, I can't believe I did this. I'm like, sorry, man. It, yeah, sorry. Oh, man, I dropped Chubb in a in a deep league right before the game to pick up some PPR play just because, you know, we hadn't seen it from Chubb. And I, anyway, that's – we're not going to talk about my team like that. I don't want to relive that nightmare. <laughs> he's, right. He's right still only got three carries, you know. It's, it's still, I mean, but you can see the potential. And that was, like, the whole reason I was holding him. You know, it's one of those things where it's like – Ah, I've been holding him this long. Maybe I should hold him one more week and see what happens. Because, but it's like I just wanted uh, that one guy who I could start that week. And of course, once once the bye weeks hit, man, all bets are off, kind of totally. for that. Yeah, a um, couple more quick honorable mentions, and this is going deeper. This is definitely like two QB centric. But um, Dak Prescott, QB sixteen, CJ Beathard, QB seventeen. Not great days by either of them, but serviceable serviceable days. Both finished inside the top twenty, regardless of what happens on Monday night. Uh, both of them outscored Aaron Rodgers by over two points, uh, who was oh. the QB 18. So, I mean, Rodgers has his own issues. We all know about that. But uh, so, Dak and Beathard, like Beathard especially, like seeing a little bit of something from him, I understand that he's not going to get to play the Chargers defense every weekend. So, uh, you know, don't get your hopes up too high. This could be like a, a Josh Allen situation. Uh, but th- they're there's reason for a little bit of optimism with Beathard. Maybe he's not going to be quite as bad as, as people thought. Um, but I want to get back to Trubisky. Only 26 pass attempts. Did you did you realize that? 43 yes. points on only 26 pass attempts of starters who actually finished the game for their teams. That was tied for the lowest with Russell Wilson. Uh, 
Dak had 27. But, I mean, for Trubisky to put up that many points on only 26 attempts is pretty insane. I, you know, did some simple math. It's 1.67 fantasy <laughs> points per pass attempt. Is that good? Is that good? So the next best, uh, can you guess who it is or do you know who it is? The the next best per per pass attempt? Yep, in week four. Ooh, I doubt you um, get it. <laughs> oh, probably not then. I was, I okay, so Andrew Luck threw it like 60 times. Oh, we're going to um, get to him. <laughs> okay, good, good, because I was, I was pretty happy about that. All right, I so. I will say, yeah, I'll, I'll I don't know, Rosen? Rosen? Nope, it was Taysom Hill. <laughs> oh, God, I so, would never get that. <laughs> so a small sample size, yeah, apologies. Uh, so, and the next most after that was Brock Osweiler, strangely enough, 1.22. So if you go to like an actual starter, uh, the next highest points per pass attempt was Jared Goff with 1.19, and then Matt Ryan with 0.79 per attempt. So the third best guy, Mitchell Trubisky doubled what that guy did. More than doubled it with his output. It's it's crazy. Now, now let's talk insane. about Luck, because this is insane in the other way. He had the third best overall score of the week, but he was 11th in points per pass attempt with .58. 62 fucking attempts. I mean, I get that this is the recipe for Indy because they can't run the ball, but this just makes me worried about his health long term behind that line. Do you have concerns about Luck going forward? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest concerns were that his like average depth of target is just so far lower than it has been the rest of his career. Right. Because what you want out of luck is the gunslinger and the guy who's going to go ahead and like run and take off sometimes. And I think both of those things are a little more in question. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's the thing that like gives me pause about luck. Do I think he's more susceptible to getting hurt than anybody else? Not necessarily like I don't even know if I'm that worried about that part even though maybe I should be I think it's just more to the fact that like you know that he's not throwing it deep as much and that's a that's a big concern although in this game he did throw it a little deeper than he had previously so I guess that's a somewhat good thing so to be clear I'm not saying that he's more injury prone than another player I I don't really buy into that stuff either my concern is more just the number of dropbacks that he takes means that he's going to take more hits and it's just uh, again, sim- simple math uh, when you have an offensive line that's a little suspect. But, I mean, if they're going to keep throwing it this much, it doesn't matter what his you know average depth of the target is. Like, that's that's a guy who's going to be fine in fantasy, especially two quarterback leagues. I'm, I'm lucky that I drafted him as highly as I did and that it's not blowing up in my face right now because you're right. He hasn't looked the same. Uh, he hasn't looked as good as I expected. I figured with the amount of time that he had off that he'd be able to get that arm strength back. But... Clearly, that's not the case so far, and I'm being bailed out by the fact that he's throwing it so many times uh, in that offense. So, you know, lucky me, knock on wood, hope it continues, hope that he stays healthy, uh, and hope that he gets that arm strength back, because when Andrew Luck's good, the NFL's, you know, just more fun. So, um, let's get to the bust of the week. Uh, Which quarterback underperformed your expectations the most in week four? So, this was more my fault than it was his fault, Uh, but it was actually Baker Mayfield. And I'd say that's because I was huge on Mayfield this week. I think Oakland is just, I mean, it's a black hole of talent, right? There is no talent on that team. Yeah. And I I just thought Baker was going to go in and mop the floor. Like, I got a little caught up from the week before, and I was like, oh, snap. It's so lit for Baker. And he just showed that he's very talented, but he is a rookie. 
right? He had some of those mistakes. He fumbled a couple times. He, you know, had, I mean, he had Callaway wide open, like wide open for a touchdown. I think it might've been the first or second drive. I mean, I could have hit that throw, I think. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he just barely overthrew him and he only ended up with like 16 ish points on DraftKings. And obviously Chubb took a lot of that from him, but I was expecting big things from Baker and it was my fault for doing that because I think he's going to be a great player, but it was probably a little premature for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that was a bad process, though, because, again, you look at that Raiders defense, and that was a good matchup. Now, maybe the fact that it was on the road should have given us some pause, and that's kind of a running theme for me with a lot of the guys that I was disappointed by. Uh, You know, Ryan Tannehill, QB 32, with literally zero points. And he he had 100 passing yards in this game. He just turned the ball over twice. Uh Drew Brees. I, I I may or may not have started uh, Tannehill over Trubisky this week in oh, a league. Ouch. I mean, I can't blame you for that though. Again, like that's fine process considering where Ooh. Trubisky was at. And to be fair, like I picked up the Tampa Bay defense in a couple spots because you know Trubisky had been that bad, you know, in the first yeah. few weeks. So yeah. I thought maybe I get some cheap turn- turnovers from it. Of course, he went bananas and Tampa Bay got me negative three. But you know that's besides the point. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Continuing the theme of, you know, quarterbacks on the road disappointing me in week four, uh, Drew Brees at the Giants was QB 25 with about 8.6 points. Uh, Russell Wilson Mm -hmm. on the road in Arizona, QB 24, about nine points. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger was the only one who was not on the road who kind of underwhelmed me. Uh, Oh, that's a huge disappointment also. I can't believe I didn't mention him. Yeah, and I mean, I, I have the hindsight of, you know, going second here, so I, I'm lucky that I can just rattle these guys off and not have to pick one in particular. I mean, for me, it would be Breeze. That would be my guy, uh, just because, you know, he is that prolific of a player. But, you know, we know that him and Roethlisberger both have home road splits. Now, Roethlisberger didn't have that excuse on Sunday night against the Ravens, but Breeze, you know, going on the road to New York, uh, is that something you think we need to be concerned about? Is that home road split for Drew Breeze going to be something that continues to pop up for him? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I It's just, you know, it's road breeze. And more importantly, it's out of the dome breeze. We sure. saw him crush it out uh, at the Mercedes-Benz Dome uh, against Atlanta, I think, like week two. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just who Drew Brees has been. So, no, I'm, I'm not real concerned about it at all. All right, we're going to jump into the week five preview. But first, a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and your rivals this year. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based upon your starters, the bench players, and the free agent pool that's available to you. And if you're wondering how SquadQL actually does this, it connects directly with your leagues, either on Yahoo, ESPN, or CBS. It pulls in your actual roster, your scoring settings, and SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations Plus, gives you player rankings each week. It's all based on those league settings that you pull in. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season, so head over to SquadQL.com to download the app today. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, which is the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. And you can also download RotoQL for free both on Apple and Android. Check out SquadQL and RotoQL today. <music> Okay, we're back. Week 5 preview time. Sammy, how is Joe Mixon's return going to play out for Giovanni Bernard, who's been really good on his own for the Bengals over the past couple weeks? So I think that this is actually a worse thing for Joe Mixon, right? I think he goes back to being the starter. I think that team loves him, and I think he's 
he's legit one of the more talented running backs in the NFL. But I think that his injury is really, really bad for him because Mixon owners were saying, listen, this guy is going to be a bell cow. That's going to be a huge part of his value. He's going to be a three down back. Like, yeah, Gio's going to take some touches away on third. But for the most part, like Mixon is killing those touches. But after having a knee procedure and Mixon, uh, Gio playing so well in Mixon instead, I think we see a little bit more of a split. You know, maybe something like 70-30, maybe like that Eckler-Melvin Gordon situation rather than like a Saquon Barkley-Wayne Gallman situation. So I actually think Mixon goes back to being the starter and it's great, but he doesn't get that huge market share that he was getting early in the season. And maybe that's better for him long term to stay healthy through the whole year, especially because he is coming off that knee scope. But yeah. you're yeah. right. It's really, this just kind of stinks for both of them because Bernard's going to lose all that early down work. Mixon's going to lose all that extra value he was going to get from being a bell cow. I'm, I'm kind of bummed about it, but at the same time, there will be opportunity here, I think, to find value with one or the other, uh, you know, maybe in trades or in DFS, just because they become less appealing at a base level. If you can find the right times to play them, like figure out when it's going to be a mix-in week versus when it's going to be a geo week, I think there's some sneaky value that might be able you might be able to mine from that. Do you? Sure, sure, absolutely. I think that's a big thing that we've always tried to do with the New England backfield is kind of figure out when it's going to be which kind of week. And I can't say I've always been successful with that, but there is value if you can do it. Where are you at on the New England backfield, by the way? Like, are you in on Sony Michelle? Do you think you can keep that up? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I think that, I think a big part of it is going to come down to them trusting him catching the ball. You know, so much of what he did was just out of like straight eye formation or single back, more importantly, as opposed to like shotgun. And New England likes to operate at a shotgun. And so that's going to be a big thing for him moving forward. But I think when you see New England as like touchdown plus home favorites, games they should dominate. Like this last week, I played Michelle all over in DFS because I said he's going to get 18 or more carries just because the game script is so likely to go in his favor. But when it looks like it could be a shootout kind of game, I mean, I, I think that's where you want the pass catchers and there's going to be value in white. So, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll see how good I am uh, on a week-to-week basis getting that done. But I think, like, overall, theoretically, that's how it should be. Yep, makes a lot of sense. Uh, getting back to QBs, who is your favorite or most intriguing quarterback streamer of Week 5? Uh, so I'll give you two, actually. Number one, Blake Bortles against Kansas City. I think that Kansas City is, is like, the <laughs> single team that we want to just, like, play and play against. Like, they are just team shootout they are so wonderful in all sorts of ways just the best offense and the worst defense and you want to play people against them because it's just going to be shootout central Uh, i love bortles this week against kansas city and the other one is actually uh, a little deeper but it's josh rosen at san francisco i think that san francisco's defense uh obviously hashtag not good and i also think that rosen looked really good this week and Again, like this is pretty deep and, you know, playing rookie quarterbacks on the road is is highly suspect. But the thing about San Francisco is that they are not great at rushing the passer. And I think when you're talking rookie quarterbacks, you want to play them against teams that don't have great pass rushes. So I, I think that's like a really like kind of lower level play that you can feel OK about if you need to do it. Yep. Casey's allowing by far the most points per game to the quarterback position over 30 points a game so far, which is 
just incredible. I, I don't know exactly what Case Keenum is doing right at this moment, but I'm assuming that he's going to have at least a decent night. So that I don't know if he's going to score over 30. That average is probably going to come down. But uh, yeah, that's definitely a matchup we want to attack. Yeah, I like that call with Bortles. He was on my list. I, I like the Josh Rosen one as well for, again, like those deeper plays in two quarterback formats. I think similar to that, you could even make the case for C.J. Beathard um, on the other side of that matchup. Sure. Uh, Arizona's sure. defense is probably a little bit better than the 49ers, but he's going to be at home. Uh, we saw him, you know, like I said, overperform expectations a little bit in week four. Maybe he can keep that up. I'm not sure, uh, but if you're desperate, I think you... You know, you can run with him if you have to. A uh, couple more bigger names, I guess, we should throw out there. Uh, Alex Smith at New Orleans. He hasn't been that good. He hasn't been Kansas City Alex Smith this year. But, you know, going up against that Saints defense, I think that there's uh, stuff to like about him, especially because New Orleans has been good against the run. They tend to funnel stuff back towards the passing game. Like, I think this is a really obvious spot to avoid Adrian Peterson and buy into Chris Thompson as well as, you know, the other pass catchers and Alex Smith uh, in that matchup. Um and the other guy I want to throw out, uh, Case Keenum, he's on the road at the Jets. I'm not super stoked about that, but I think that he could be fine. I'm, again, kind of reserving a little bit of judgment to see how he does against Kansas City. But, uh, you know, the Jets' defense has been solid. I'm not I'm not as high on him here. Like, I'd definitely rather start Bortles and Smith uh, over him. Um, where are you at on Smith and Keenum? How, how do you feel about those guys as streaming candidates? So, definitely Smith. Like yeah. I, I like Smith quite a bit, not quite as high on Keenum. And I'm not going to lie to you. I just checked the uh, Chiefs Broncos box score and we're in the third quarter. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. So hashtag Uh-oh. recency bias for me. Um, but, but I definitely like the Smith call and, and especially that Chris Thompson call. I think that's something that, that we can see quite a bit of this week. I think that's sharp. So the other one I want to throw out here is Baker Mayfield. We'll go back to the well here. He was a little underwhelming in that Oakland game. We talked about that already, but I don't know. He seems like the type of player who, you know, when he's in front of that home crowd, you know, fired up, even even against Baltimore, whose defense is pretty good, maybe he can put it together this week. Am I am I digging a little too deep here? Am I am I going down narrative street a little too far? Hey, look, if you're going down narrative street, I'm going with you. I'm in on Mayfield. I've just yeah. decided I am freaking in. The swagger, the headband, the Pied Piper story, all of it. I love and dude, the guy's got a hose and he's mobile. He, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Mayfield. Like I'm in on him. And if you have somebody in your league who like, you know, started him last week and might be a little bummed because he because he didn't do well in a good matchup, like trade for him. I'm I'm fully in on the guy. So let's pit him against Keenum. Which one of those guys would you rather start this week? Oh, Baker, Baker, Baker. Oh, it's decision. all it's all Baker. Love it. Love it. Snap. It, it, also, because I feel like he should offer you a rushing floor. That will help out when both of them are running bad. He's at least got that floor that he can fall back on. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, had four carries this week, only ten rushing yards, but that is something that he can build on. That's something that we've seen him do in college. So I'm I'm with you there. I think that that does help. Who's your clipboard holder of the week? This is the quarterback who you would normally start, but you're going to be avoiding this week. Okay, so I, I went with a pretty popular guy, I guess. Um, so if you have him, there might not be a situation to bench him if you're in a two-quarterback league, but in one-quarterback league, you probably have somebody else who is good. Uh, Carson Wentz versus Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, first off, Philly really hasn't looked <laughs> as good as they did last year. Hey, my, you know, he the dog knows what I'm talking about. They have just not looked as good as they did last year. I think that Minnesota, their defense has actually been pretty suspect, but I believe in it. Like, I believe that's a talented defense. 
I think that they played Philly last year. Like they know some of the tricks that Philly has. And the reality is Wentz coming off his knee injury, he's not running as much. And that was a big part of what he did last year. He only has five attempts for 18 yards for, through his first two games. So that rushing floor is quite a bit lower than it used to be. And if you just look at the Vegas odds, the Eagles have a 23.8 point implied team total. That's pretty low by comparative standards. It's 15th in the league. So it's really not that high. I think if you have another guy that's kind of close to him, you go with the other guy. What do you think about Kirk Cousins on the other side of that matchup? Because he was on my list, but I wrote it like this. I said, Kirk Cousins at Philly? Question mark. I, I'm not sure how much to ding him for that matchup relative to, you know, what we just saw Marcus Mariota do to that defense. Like Philly tends to funnel offense to the pass. Like they, they're really good against the run, but quarterbacks can find success against them. And I think that makes Cousins remain startable. But this is still a matchup, you know, with Cousins on the road, their offensive line having some issues. I, I have concerns about using him there. What do you think? So I think that you have this assessed absolutely right. I think Cousins has a high ceiling, not only because Philly can struggle against the pass, but also his weapons are just so elite. I mean, Rudolph is a great red zone guy, but Diggs and Thielen are just beasts. And those guys make things happen. So I think that Cousins, in pretty much every game, has a high floor. But when you look at like the minutia of the game, that Eagles defensive line against the Vikings offensive line, that is a severe mismatch. Like, that Eagles D-line is going to eat them like, the, you know, it's like piranhas and somebody just fell into the, the river. I mean, it is going to be a bloodbath. And so I think there's definitely a scenario where it gets so bad in the trenches that Minnesota can't operate. And I think that that gives them a high ceiling, but that part of it gives them a really low floor. And if you're in a situation where, you know, you need solid production, you may want to look elsewhere. Yeah, and I think you can make a very similar argument against Russell Wilson this week against the Rams. Now, he's at home, so that is a little bit better than Cousins on that front. But again, like problems up front for Seattle. The Rams' defensive line is you know completely beastly. Like Aaron Donald, like that that whole group has just been, been wrecking people all season, and they should be able to do that to Wilson as well. Now, Wilson offers a little bit more with his legs, and I think that that might be the way that he can remain startable here. Um, yeah. Just being able to, you know, when he sees that pressure, you know, you know, break the pocket and just scramble and just and get it done on the ground. Um, but I actually, I'm, I'm more worried about Wilson right now than I am about Cousins. Um, where are you at on him? Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Wilson too, and it's not just, I mean, it's that team's offensive line too, but it's that entire. Yeah, it's it's the volume. I mean, that's just that's just a bad situation. It, and can we talk about Aaron Rodgers for a second? Don't please. Yeah, I've I've been I, off of him for like ever <laughs> since he got hurt. Like I've I've been fading him in my rankings at Fantasy Pros, like across the board. I I don't understand. Like I know people are rooting for him and they want him to succeed, and so do I. But I hate to break it to you guys, this isn't going to be the year for you know another Rodgers MVP season because he's hurt. He's clearly hurt. Yeah, man. I and, and that's the thing. Like, if you read between the tea leaves, all the stuff he's been saying in the press conferences and in the interviews, he is not happy. And McCarthy is not the kind of guy who, like, can design an offense to help Rodgers out. You know, I mean, that's that's the big thing, man. Like, Rodgers can't move. He is gutting it out. Like, what a freaking champion that guy is. But, I mean, people that drafted him in, like, whatever, the third or fourth round, like, they're bummed right now because he is not the QB1. And, 
if you have him, especially in a two QB league, like there's no way to bench him. Like you don't bench Aaron Rodgers, but at the same time, if you have a good second option, like in a one QB league, like guys like Mar- like Mahomes, I mean, it's an easy start over him. Easy even, start. Even Matt Ryan. I mean, the, these guys yeah. who aren't even considered elite, but just based upon their circumstances and the fact that they're healthy, they actually can just drop back and throw it that many times. But Rodgers doesn't have that luxury. It's it's sad. Hundred percent. Phil Rivers. Like, I mean, man, it, it sucks, but it is. That's the reality. Okay, so you brought up Mahomes, and this was the other guy who I, I don't think he'd be my clipboard holder of the week. I think it's officially Russell Wilson. I'll make that call. But with that said, Patrick Mahomes, uh, he's going to be at home against Jacksonville. This is definitely going to be the best defense he's faced of the year. I mean, he's facing Denver tonight, and Denver's defense is, is decent, but it's not Jags level. Uh, would you agree with that? And yes, what are you kind of doing with him in this matchup? Are you at all afraid that maybe Mahomes comes back down to earth a little bit in this one? Uh, I am afraid. And at the same time, I cannot bench him. You know? I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those two things are both true. I mean, it's just, it, I think that this, you know, what I'm looking forward to this weekend, this is the game. Just from a, pers- a football level, like, perspective, I think this is the game that I'm most intrigued by. It's the Jags and Chiefs. It's the most elite swaggy defense against the most elite swaggy offense. It's two of the best teams in the AFC, potentially an AFC title game preview, something like that. I, I just think that this game is going to be awesome, and I can't wait to see what happens. But, yeah, I, I can't I can't bench Mahomes. No way. The thing that really kind of sells me on Mahomes as still being startable in this matchup is the way that the Chiefs run their offense and the way that they get literally everyone involved, where yes. you see Demarcus Robinson, Demetrius Harris, um, Conley, Conley, like all these guys catching balls, Spencer Ware's getting involved. Like they use Anthony Sherman, they use everybody and that you can't scheme for with a defense. If they have plays designed to go to the, the guys that you're not expecting and you scheme to that, that just means that one of their really talented playmakers is going to be more open somewhere. And that's why I'm still in on the homes. I, I don't think I'll be ranking him like top three or top five necessarily for week five, but He's still startable, especially in two quarterback formats. Completely agree. That is one of the most interesting games uh, of this slate. W- but what else are you looking forward to um, in week five? Like, are there any other matchups that jump out to you? Any players you're going to have an eye on? Um, what, what are you looking forward to? So I, I'd say that something in my preliminary DFS research that I'm just going to kind of hang my week on is I'm going to be all in on this Atlanta-Pittsburgh game. Mm-hmm. I think that from a kind of like public perspective, people are going to be pissed off at Pittsburgh because they should have done a lot better and really fell on their faces in that mon- in that Sunday night matchup against Baltimore. And I'm just all in on this game. I think that you want Ben Roethlisberger. I think he's like a top three quarterback this week. I think you want Juju Smith-Schuster. We saw those defenders from Atlanta, specifically Deion Jones and Keanu Neal. Those guys going out has wrecked that defense like that defense cannot do it right now and i think this game is an absolute shootout and dfs wise like i'm just gonna have so much exposure here that's gonna be the game that like my week really tilts on yeah uh, that's on my list too i I wrote in my notes the no defense olympics because neither of those teams play (laughs) gold medal for these guys yeah exactly gold medal and the no defense olympics for atlanta at pittsburgh (laughs) uh the other one i'm I'm looking forward to is the nfc championship rematch you you noted carson wentz is a guy to potentially bench we talked about cousins but 
I'm I want to see how these two teams stack up against each other because it's it's been a while and now they both have a lot more question marks uh, in terms of health in terms of just on the field performance. There's uh, there's a lot to be interested in in that game and, and I can't wait to see how that one plays out too. Um, before we go, Sammy, give me a bold prediction for Week Five. So I'm actually going to give you one and then then I'm going to give you four bonus ones. Ooh, I, like I it. have. I have five bold predictions. Five for week five. I love it. Here we go. Number one, Aaron Jones, 100 total yards, and he establishes dominance in the Green Bay backfield. Love I it. think that Green Bay needs to do something. Aaron Rodgers wants Jones out there. They're going to give him what he wants. He had a really nice game uh, this last week. I think number two, the Jags, or I'm sorry, the Chiefs hang 30-plus on the Jags. I think that Andy Reid is one of the most elite schemers that we've seen and like you mentioned, they will attack the Jags in a way that is not straight up. You know what I mean? They're not just going to go man on man and beat them. They're going to out-scheme the Jags. And I think they put up 30-plus. Number three, Austin Safarian Jenkins and Ricky Seals-Jones are both top eight tight ends. So they're both very cheap on DraftKings and FanDuel. You should get them. Number four, Christian Kirk gets in the end zone for Arizona. And number five, uh, I alluded to it, the Steelers hang 40 or more points on Atlanta. Man, I love it. That's great. Mine is that Derrick Henry is going to finish as a top five running back and then go immediately back to being bad the next week. Thanks, <laughs> Buffalo. I'm like, dude, that is bold. Is all get out. Derrick Henry's going to be good? I mean, he's playing the Bills, man. What do you expect? I mean, this is this is the game where he should be good, isn't it? It really, if it, I mean, he's like legit cuttable if he doesn't do anything in this matchup. It's it's a real temperature test for him. Like if he, you're right, if he doesn't perform in that matchup, the the matchup that he should dominate. Like there's something wrong with him, or there's something wrong with the Titans. I'm not sure. It might be both, but um, I mean, the Titans have generally looked like like they went ugly, but they've been good. They've been a good team at winning games. They're three and one. You know, it's like that doesn't happen by accident against the schedule they've played. So yeah. I don't even know how that's possible, but they are. I just checked. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, Sammy, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, Listeners, you can follow him on Twitter at SammyReedFI. You got anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, Not much. I mean, baseball season's over. So so I do the on-deck premium podcast, the Gilcast on Roto-Grinders. You should listen to that where me and Davis, Maddock, and Josh ADHD and Nate Noling all make fun of each other for our lineups uh, on Monday morning. And then the read option for Roto Grinders, my weekly column. Yep, check that stuff out. Uh, listeners, if you want to send feedback to the show, uh, the best way to do that is to rate and review the podcast. I stump for this every once in a while, but I'd really appreciate it uh, if you could give me one of those. That helps me get the show out to more people. Um, if you want to send us questions, uh, Twitter works at 2QBs. Uh, email works 2QBs at gmail.com. In both cases, uh, spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. And with that said... Good luck in week five. We will catch you next week. Adios.